Welcome to the Radical Christian Life with Doug and Paula. We're so excited as we discuss what it looks like to live the radical Christian life, following Jesus no matter the call, no matter the cost. Yeah, so let's get to it. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Yay. Yeah, yeah. So there I you go. I love it when you say I think we're about, yeah, my great <laughs> voice. Thank you. But hey, God loves my voice. He created it. So yep. anyways, but I think in heaven it'll be better. But that's <laughs> for another topic on a podcast. We want to continue what I we started last week. I can see the week. questions coming from yeah, that one yeah. right there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we want to continue our stories about the mission field. This is our Christmas present to you. Uh, and all the negative we're hearing out there, we want you to know what God is doing around the world and how how yes. exciting this is and for it that's is. the privilege we get to we get sent by we've been you know sent by our churches over the years and now our current church is behind us in our mission work and we have people who support serving bound borders and there are partners and they pray for us and we pray for them and we encourage one another mm-hmm. and then we get the privilege of going and we have stories over the last 25 years from around the world and we want to share some of yeah, those with you do. so you can hear the exciting things what god unleashed yeah. 2000 years yep, ago in that the manger. baby did not stay in that manger no he no, came he for grew a reason. Up and became a man, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and he gave us the Holy Spirit so we could go. Mm. Again, that's one of the great commission passages, Acts 1 8, right? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? So we could get all that we want, so we could live this dynamic life, so we could just be happy. No, so that we could be his witnesses in Jerusalem and both Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. That's what it's about. Yeah. And that's why we're excited about missions. We hope you are too. So Merry Christmas early. So yes, let's tell some go. stories, Paula. Well, I have a little caveat in case you didn't listen to last week is that we are careful about using names or countries where there's a potential security risk. So we don't. So these are real Real true stories with real people, but we just want to be sensitive about that. So let me jump in. The first story comes from East Africa. Well, part of our role with SBB is listening and counseling missionaries who are often lonely and struggling in a second language and often in remote areas without a church body because they're going there to bring the gospel. So many of these faithful people live in extremely difficult situations and in extremely difficult countries that you and I would find very um, taxing to live in. But nobody wins when a missionary comes off the... Well, let me, let me throw that... Uh, let me interrupt your story just oh. to say, yeah, this is the country where we got shaken down by the police. Yes. And uh, yeah, we had to do... Yeah, you had to... We had to pay to get out to keep the, the guys we were with out of jail. I mean, it's yeah. one of those... If you're willing to sacrifice, but will you... Will you throw other people under the oh, bus who will suffer a lot more than I was you? Mad. So yeah, you were I mad. I have a song, we, a very, very strong sense of justice, but especially we paid, when it's somebody else. We paid to keep them out of jail. Yep. So there yeah. you go. So that yes, yeah, so it's lots only of money, cultural yeah. things there. So anyway, um, no. yeah. So anyway, nobody wins when a missionary comes off the field prematurely or before God wants them to. So. We go, and it's what we do. But it always warms our heart and encourages us to know that what we actually do meets a need. Um, And this was expressed by a female worker that wrote me a few weeks later after our visit. And this is what she said. I feel in a lot of ways now that it is a new start for me. I appreciate your willingness to listen to my story. I am so glad we connected and that you came to lead the conference. It was an encouragement I needed, and God knew that. But you know what's so cool about that? She's still on the field. Yeah. She's yeah. still there. Yeah. 
and she's laboring for the cause of Christ. So I consider that a great story. Yeah. I, uh, one thing I want to just add to that is that we do actually a lot more than that. That's not the only thing we do on the field. No, You it make isn't. it sound like that's the only thing we do. Oh, did I really? Yeah. Well, it's and one of the things. It's we one do. of the things we yeah. do. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. we do other things, especially the main thing I'm always going to talk about is discipleship. Yeah. So, yeah. and um, teaching people the word of God. Yeah. I and love helping that. Get, get to unreach people groups. So, yes. Okay, I'm going to read the following story because this is what we wrote down over 10 years ago. Mm. And uh, this is one of those stories that you almost like, really? Is it true? And it, yeah. And it is. So I'm going to yeah. read it the way we, we wrote it because it was. Let me jump in for a second. We have updates that we had and we have some journals and stuff. So a couple of those of these we pulled and this would be one. Yeah. Just because it was so impactful. Yeah. And you know, when after, over the time you can exaggerate stories and yeah. stuff like that. So this is exactly what I we I forget what down. I did yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Ready? While we were visiting our fellow workers one day, a man came to visit them. Okay, he was a Muslim who years ago heard the gospel and wanted to follow Jesus. But with persecution and strife, he fell away. If you know anything about the persecution that people, Muslims in the Middle East, when they become followers of Jesus, what they face, mm. oof, we could tell story after story on that. And he did. He fa- And what happens, a lot of them go back to Islam and they fall away. Yeah. Around the table, we all quieted down so he could tell his story. He proceeded to tell how he left his wife and children and joined a Palestinian resistance group. He was helping them smuggle arms into the refugee camps. Okay, he had did this for five years. Then one day he realized that the arms in the war were never going to bring peace to either his life or to the Middle East. And he remembered the gospel and my friend who shared this good news with him. And that that man was the missionary we were sitting with. Mm. He remembered this missionary shared the gospel with him. So as the prodigal son, he returned to seek forgiveness. He came to our friend's home only to discover he was not at home. They were away for the night. So we slept on the doorstep waiting. When my friend returned home, he was amazed to see this man whom he had not seen in five years standing there with tears in his eyes. After hugs and the obligatory tea, this man wanted to know if he could ever be forgiven for abandoning Jesus and being a man of hate and war. At this time, Paul and I showed up at the house. At first, we didn't know what was going on. Here was this man in tears, pouring over the scriptures, seeing how the Lord is a forgiving God and willing to accept his heart of repentance. We exaggerate not when for a moment we saw the face of Jesus on this man when he realized, when he came to the realization that God would forgive and restore him. He immediately called his wife whom he had abandoned and sought reconciliation with her and the family. She agreed to meet with him. He hung up the phone with shouts of praise and thanksgiving. A beautiful modern day illustration of the prodigal son, the repentant tax collector, and the adulterous woman. The the ones the world reviles are the ones Jesus came to save. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, Jesus said. Wow. My next one comes from... That's it? You're just going to just let that hang there? and that, That's yeah. a story. I, that I is was. an incredible... Sorry, you're going in, but I was expecting you to just... Oh. I know you were telling your story, but that's a no, story. It is so incredible. I remember that to this day. And I, really, I actually regret a little bit we didn't journal more. Because yeah. we have so many stories like that, but just I completely forgot about that story it was, yeah. until we brought all these journals out and started reading the things that God has been doing. And uh, you know that yeah. that's probably a great idea for right now for maybe you who are listening and even us write down things. Yeah, stones of remembrance. Yes, yeah. to remember what God had that done. That comes out of the book of Joshua. But anyways, yes, yes. Yeah. So we'll explain that. 
Well, yeah, when they were crossing the Jordan River and that God told them to put down stones, the stones were so when people, when their children would say, what are these stones about? They would tell the story of God's deliverance. Mm. And uh, yeah, so that's a good thing. Oh, Actually, I, like I, I think it's more your job because I've always said I wanted to be Jim Elliott and be martyred and then you go write a book and become rich and famous and that would take care of you. So oh, Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, these are the stories that's going to be in the book. There so we there go. You go. These are great stories. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Oh, glory of God. Now, okay. here you go, Paula. All right. Well, um, this one comes from Lebanon, where we lived. Um, we want to praise God for an African brother who courageously stood up against a powerful, not just powerful man, but powerful men to help rescue a young woman from his country who were being sex trafficked. Yeah, so let's let's qualify this because you said the country in that this is not ta- this does not take place in Lebanon. No, this take place, it didn't. He had been he was in Lebanon when we met him. Yeah. Well, let me explain that a little bit. It did say it in the story a little bit later, but you jumped in, which is okay. So this man was one of the founding members of a Bible school that we started when we lived in Lebanon. He was so faithful to come, and that lasted during our time in Lebanon, and he had gone back to his home country in Africa, and so this took place there where he rescued a young woman who was being sex trafficked. And the the point of this story is when you build into disciples, you will never know how that will be used in their lives and what God will call them to do. This is just a great example because he was built up in the word of God and walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was able to do something that we probably would never have the opportunity to do. And so that's just such an encouragement for us to know that when we see, when we set our disciples free and we loose them for the kingdom of God, there's just great things that can happen. That's really exciting. I'm trying to sit here. Are you... I didn't know you were going to tell the story. Are you telling the story about the guy who, why did he, why did you arrest the girl? No, I think we should tell that story. You don't think so? No. You're giving me a okay. <laughs> You got to stick to your script. What? We don't actually have a script, but we're like, okay, we have the stories written down. Oh, you don't so, want to yeah. tell the messiness of you doing discipleship? I, well, there's always messiness with that. Yeah, yeah, that that's a large component of it, but it it's the encouragement. Of yeah. this, when you watch things come to fruition, right? Yeah. Yes. So because boy, you will disciple people who fall, and we fall ourselves periodically. Yes. So, so, but he yeah. God used him to do some great work, yeah. and that was super exciting. Yeah. And uh, okay, so in case you're wondering where that went, that went where <laughs> not either one of us wanted to go. I wanted to do one of my rabbit trails that would make everyone feel uncomfortable. And my wife was it's protecting Christmas. you. You're it's Christmas allowed. time, so um, not, let's just say it ended well. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It ended Praise well. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll just tell a little short story. Probably one of the highlights of my life. Now, when I say that, think about that. Highlights of my life. This isn't like, oh, your favorite ber- verse. No, or your no, favorite no. Thing. This yeah. is up there where there's been a few times where I felt like, wow, this was this is like a kingdom of God moment. When, mm. Whenever, you know, when the kingdom of God comes, this is what it'll be like. And I had a chance, to, I was in a African, I mean, a Middle East country, and I was actually with a group of North Africans and Actually, they were from all over the Middle East. I shouldn't have said that. But most of them were from North Africans, which I don't understand their Arabic at all. And then they were speaking their local dialects and stuff. So, But we had a moment. We were sitting on a balcony overlooking a city. And they just started going into prayer. Now, I'm telling you, you want to get around some Pentecostal Muslim converts. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, (laughs) 
If you're a cessationist out there, let's go to a little theology. I know these are stories, but let me just say, if you believe that God does not still work with signs and wonders and miracles and all that thing, well, you need to get around some Pentecostal Muslim converts. Okay. These, so this group of men that I was with was all men. We were there. They were all converts from Islam, except for me. And all of them could tell testimonies of signs and wonders and power encounters and praying in the spirit and how God revealed them and changed their lives. And just, just, so, I mean, when they prayed, they knew what they were coming out of. Yeah. And we went into just, they just started singing songs. And I'm not a big tongue speaker and all that, but I was praying in the spirit. I felt like I was there with them, worshiping God in their languages. It, it was one of the most incredible moments where I can't even, I'm just trying to just share with you. When you think that heaven is just going to be you and your little church and just your little people who look the same as you and speak your language yeah. and, and, and yeah. that's not and sing the songs you like and this is where <laughs> and i don't like getting into arguments about you know praying in tongues but i believe in praying in the spirit and when you pray in the spirit you literally unite in in a, in a spiritual way you can't even put in human words your hearts are knit together with brothers and sisters and we see this all the time when i go into countries and i'm in a church service and i don't know their language when we start praying and we start worshiping i worship in the spirit and it is so powerful mm. that even though i don't understand fully the words that are being said i am in there worshiping god with them and it's just, and so just doing that was one of the times where I, I first really had my eyes open to this kind of experience of this is what the kingdom of God is like. People from every tribe and tongue and nation and language worshiping God. And it's just a cool experience. Oh, I love that, yeah. Doug. Wow. Well, my next story comes from Egypt where we lived. And um, the reason I'm telling this is because I just think it really models what it means to be involved with local churches, because that's what we're always about. We love the local church. It's God's instrument that he left behind to be a testimony of his people and to gather as community. So we were living there. Um, we actually lived there during 9-11 which was quite interesting. But uh, the year after that, we started helping to plant a church in a poor area outside the city where there were no, uh, there was no uh, local church in that community. It was really poor. I mean, poor, poor area. And, and we worked with the pastor who was starting that. And, you know, sometimes as believers, we're, we are not the harvesters. We are the seed planters. And this would be an example of that because 16 years later, just a couple of years ago, we went back and it was just such a great joy to see this once fledgling church thriving and reaching out to plant other churches. And we didn't know the newer pastor because he had just come a couple years ago, but he knew of us and he welcomed us with open arms and he asked Doug to pray in the service. It was just so, so cool. And what I want to say is there are many of you listening to this who have been a part of our journey since 2000. And it wasn't SBB back then, but it is now. And so thank you for being part of the team. And we just hope that this brings you incredible joy as well to see your years of faithful giving and praying have a lasting legacy of an impact in, G in Egypt. I just think there's, when we get to heaven, there's going to be so many people that we all never knew we had a part of their faith journey because we were faithful on our side. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. 
that's why we believe in church planning. That's why we believe in going and establishing local churches, the communities, whether, and, and we're talking, I've been in, <laughs> I've been in mega churches around the world. I mean, one of my, I was in Asia, just you and I were in Asia just past year, and we were in a church that rivaled anything we've seen in the States. It, yes. and, I mean, literally, it was like, it's ultra modern. The building was amazing. We're like, can we get this building in the States? I mean, it's <laughs> things like that. And that's cool. God's, it's not right or wrong. You know, the people are anti mega church. No, praise God. In this country, they had a mega church. Praise God. And Major then city. Yeah, yeah. Then we've been in the little house church. Oh, yeah. The little house churches, just poor as poor can be, sitting on dirt floors, just worshiping. And all of them are worshiping Jesus. So they're all great. And we love that. So yes, I love we that do. church planning. I'm going to combine two stories, Paula. Can I do that? Yep. I'm going to tell the bizarre. Hey, you're free and to do whatever uh, you want to do. Thank you. Honey. Except talk about that other thing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, going down. laughs> are you trying to bring that in no, here? No, okay, no, no. good. <laughs> if you've been in the southern part of Africa, especially South Africa, Swaziland, uh, Mozambique, and those countries, you know about the Zionist movement. Now, let me just help our readers understand. This is when a this is when missions goes awry. Okay, I'm going to tell a story when missions goes awry. When the Pentecostal movement happened, Azusa Street in the 19 uh, turning the beginning of the 20th century, 19. Um, 19, yeah, 1906, I forget. You can tell I'm not, I guess I'm not Assemblies of God or Church of God in Christ. I don't know the day that, the year <laughs> of the, yeah. yeah. But anyways, when Azusa, she started, and the missions and Pentecostalism was spreading out, a group of missionaries, uh, a, there was a guy, actually, I think he called himself a prophet. I won't get too into this, but it, it's, imp it's important because mm. this is when a mission goes awry. There was a group of them who started a, cit a city in Zion, Illinois, Okay, Zion, Illinois. They started a city? They, yeah, they created a city, oh, and it was wow. supposed to be like trying to be where Christians, it was going to be perfect, it was going to mm. be heaven on earth type of thing. Wow. <laughs> all Christians were living there. and they're Well, you can imagine where that went, so it didn't last. But some missionaries went out. They went around the world, and they went to South Africa, and they started churches, started planting churches and stuff. But the follow-up was very weak, very weak. And then because the, the the church in America blew up, the city blew up. I mean, not blow up physically, but I mean, it yeah. fell apart. So well, the missionaries left and, and came they, back because they didn't have support in yeah, that. Yeah. Well, what they did is they left an incomplete church, not fully discipled, not truly just, you know, having these experiences, have these experiences. And that's why I'm not no mocking theology. Pentecostal. Yeah. But you got to have brain and heart. You do. You need theology. Radical middle. Yeah. Yes. You have to be, ra and and they didn't. They didn't give theology. It was just about having these experiences. So they planted uh, what's called the Zionist church. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go to a Zionist church. No, you don't need to go to a Zionist <laughs> church. You can look it up. You can read about them. And I don't even know. I've never looked at Wikipedia or whatever's been written out there. I've actually experienced them. I've seen them. My wildest thing was seeing a baptism. And, uh, I remember they, that. The guys who were in the van. You remember that? We were yes. Literally by the side of the road, we we're just watching, and they are literally beating the devil out of this person, but through baptism, I mean, front, back, yeah, side, thrashing front. this person <laughs> in and out of the water. They're all wearing their uniforms and their gowns, and and uh, but it's what's called syncretism, okay, syncretism, and what that means is taking some parts of one religion and mixing it with another religion. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they take parts of Christianity. They'll talk about Jesus and the blood and all that, but then they'll sacrifice animals. Mm -hmm. And they'll do parts of Old Testament sacrifices, mixing with New Testament, with mixing with their animism. Magic. Yeah, magic, yeah. going to witch doctors and those. So it, it, it's, it's, it's an um, aberrant form of Christianity. Abhorrent. Not abhorrent. Uh, well, anyways, whatever. <laughs> a variant form of Christianity. I wouldn't even call them Christians. No, yeah, yeah so, you're right. 
Then I even had a more bizarre experience. I got to go to a Jericho church. Now, I love to make this joke, and uh, forgive me if this offends you, but they, Jerichos are the hyper-Pentecostals of the Zionist church. <laughs> and so, wow. yeah, I don't even know how to explain. So he, this was my experience. So whatever the theology is and stuff, this was my experience. And Bob, if you're out there listening, you remember sitting in that church service with me, or church service, whatever they call it. We're sitting in there, and there is a pole in the middle of the room. It's a cinder block room with about 35 of us, 40 of us sitting in the cinder block building with, you know, those famous plastic chairs. If you've been <laughs> around the world, you know what I'm talking about when I say plastic molded chairs yep. that are Usually around the world. Usually white. Yes. yes. Yep. And we're sitting in these and, and there's a picture of Jesus on the Somebody wall. Somebody is very wealthy because of those yeah, chairs. Yeah. <laughs> there's a picture of white Jesus on the wall, which kind of made me laugh. And, you know, like he wasn't Swedish, but that's another thing. <laughs> and they have a pole in the middle of the room. And then they have a stone at the bottom. I never understood what the, the stone kind of was. And they asked me to preach. I preached the gospel. They, you know, shake, you know, thank you, thank you. And they, they were polite. They listened and I got to share the gospel, right? Mm. And do a call. <laughs> But then they went into their moment of meeting God, I guess is what you would call it. And they stood up and they started running around the pole and dancing around the pole. Paula, it was one of the most incredible things I've ever watched of physical athleticism. I mean, these people started running in a frenzy. And as they're running, they're twirling and twisting around. And I kept watching, and I'll never, it's still ingrained in my mind, I kept watching. How did nobody stub their toe on the stone, the stone <laughs> at the bottom of the foot, I, I mean, at the bottom of the pole? They didn't, but they're running, and they're working. They start, they're singing, Like a whirling singing. dervish almost, yeah, right? In yeah, the exactly. East. Yeah. Then what they would do is they'd work themselves up, and they'd start speaking in tongues, and they'd open the door. Literally, the door was closed. They'd open the door, and people would all run out into the village to start prophesying. And, and, and I started asking and found out later, in the villages, everybody runs in their house and hides during that time because these crazies are coming around <laughs> screaming at the top of their lungs, speaking in languages they don't know. And, 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 so, and so I want to like break out. <laughs> it was so now, bizarre. I can't even describe how bizarre it was, right? It was not a moment I felt Jesus in the place. When it mm -hmm. says God is not a cot of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, there was a lot of confusion mm -hmm. there, right? A lot. So, but here's my point. And one of my heroes of the faith. So you have a lot of that. If you've been in Africa, I'm not slandering Africa, but there's been a lot of syncretism because the, the, the church got mixed in. Jesus got mixed in with animism. Mm -hmm. So you have Christians who will go to church on Sunday and pray. Then they're going to witch doctors for healings or the witch doctors for some kind of can incantation to say over them so they could have a child or be blessed and all that. So, I mean, you just have a lot of that. There's a pastor in the middle of Mozambique in the middle of nowhere. I mean, one of those, when we take a drive, we're taking a drive out of Maputo for about four hours to get to a city, to then leave, to go to a village, to go to, I mean, in the middle of nowhere. And I've been to this man's church and he's preaching the gospel and he's calling people out of syncretism and he's calling people out. And I've been in that church and I've seen revival happen in the villages. And those are my heroes. He's not He's not being seen on TV or YouTube videos, or he's not getting likes on Instagram. He's not, mm -hmm. he is a no name person in this world, but in the kingdom of God, he's calling people out of darkness into light. And that's who my heroes are because I've seen the darkness that has been mixed in with the church 
and there are faithful ministers calling it out. So anyways, mm. I kind of went off on that. This is a great no. lesson, though. How many people know about the Zionist church <laughs> yeah. and the Jericho church? I always thought when we first went there, I thought it was the Zionist Zion Yeah, we thought it was Israel. Israel. Yeah, was we like, thought what? it was Israel. Oh, no, so Zion, yeah. Illinois is where they come from. Yeah, yeah. It's never dull when you travel to different uh, cultures. Yeah. So Good. yeah. Okay. What do you got? Yeah. Well, I'm going to read this because I want to get this right. Mm-hmm. I have a hero of the faith too. Yeah. And she is an unknown woman um, who served in Lebanon when we lived there. And as I said a little bit earlier, we started a Bible Institute that we ran in Beirut and I'm actually going to use her name. And I'm doing that because I want to honor her in this. I had a personal relationship with her. I knew her well over four years. Um, and she's a hero of faith to me. So a few years ago, we led a conference for marginalized ministry leaders in Lebanon. This was after we had moved back to the States and we went back to Lebanon. Um, we were able to reconnect with a woman named Vanji. She was an incredible Filipino woman and one of our best students at the Bible Institute that we had started in Beirut. Vanji came to Lebanon as a domestic worker in the early 1980s, seeking a better life for her extended family by working abroad and sending money home to support them. This is really common in many countries, people, where they, people will go off. I mean, people come to the U.S. and do it, and they send money back to their, to their home countries to support their families. But that means they leave husbands and wives and children and family behind. And this was not an easy life for Vanji, where the domestics usually worked six days a week and long hours. No car, they walk everywhere. This is a life where there is very little convenience of any kind. And what did Vanji do on her day off? For years, she spent that time helping to lead a church that ministered to the Filipino people who were residing in Lebanon. This is a huge, huge mission field, by the way. Vanji poured into probably hundreds and hundreds of people over these decades. But when I sat with her that day, when we reconnected, Vanji told me that at 60 plus years old, she was ready to go back to the Philippines for good. It took everything for Vanji with her unending smile of positivity to tell me, Sis Paula, I'm just tired and I want to go home. That was five years ago. And I'm writing this in present day. That was five years ago. And last year, I got the news that Vanjie had passed away, still living in Lebanon. She never left to go back to her beloved Philippines. And do you know why? Because there was no one to take over the church when Vanjie will, when Vanjie would leave. So she stayed. As Doug and I walked out the door to travel, to India a few months ago, I was kind of sympathizing with him for our travel schedule and just to get to the villages is pretty brutal and hard. And I will never forget the words that Doug spoke to me as he turned and smiled. He said, our job is to serve others, not to be convenienced. When I think of Doug's words, I'm inspired with people like Vanji. That's a story. That's a really good story. And that's what God's doing around the world. God is literally using people like Vanjie, mm-hmm. losing people like, and I didn't say his name, but I'm going to say it, Vasco. He's using people who will never be known on this earth. I can't wait to see the reward in heaven for their faithfulness and their sacrifice. This is what missions is all about. It's, it's not, I mean, we try to make it sound so, it, it's, 
it's the kingdom. It's the upside down kingdom. The first shall be last and last shall be first. Those who exalt themselves will be humble. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is missions. You're not going to read about these people. You're not going to be, your churches are going to parade them around and stuff because they're underground. They've written no book. Yeah. They're not going to be known, but this is why you support missions. This is why you pray for your missionaries because they're working with people like this. They're encouraging people like this. These are the heroes of the faith that we should be supporting, the no-names. I mean, I, I'm not against the big ministries that have billions of dollars and everything's high profile and everything's big, big, big. But the kingdom of God is the one. You leave the 99 for the one. There's a Vanji out there. There's a Vasco out there who are making a difference for the kingdom of God, and we get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. Thanks for listening to The Radical Christian Life with Doug and Paula. I think it's at this time we're supposed to do some pitch like hit the subscribe button or donate, but we just want to say, do what you want. We trust way more in the sovereignty of God than in the Christian industrial marketing complex. You just keep living radical for Jesus, and so will we, and let's watch how he blesses us all. We'll see you next time.